All right, welcome back to another episode of the Goalpost. We're coming to you after another Bills stinker on Monday Night Football. Is it time that the Bills get moved out of prime time? Can we have that conversation, Patrick? Well, luckily their their streak of three in a row being prime time has, has come to an end, and I think they only have one remaining prime time game for the rest of the year. But yeah, that was another failed uh, failed experiment by the NFL schedule makers. The Bills just continue to let them and their fan bases down in just mo- monumental ways. Like it's just they they reinvent ways to lose because. It also seemed like Denver was trying to lose that game in a weird way, too, with like running their field goal uh, unit on. But yeah, chaos to finish that game. And the Bills once again come out on the losing end of a game. Yeah, a little bit of shades of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in the 2009 Grey Cup with the 13th man on the field just lets the Broncos back into that game in a game that honestly, I'll give credit to them. You go into Buffalo as a road team, especially being the type of caliber of team that the Broncos are and put up 24 points. I think it's it's nothing to kind of bat your head at. And I think that one question I have coming out of this, Patrick, is is this like rock bottom for the Bills? Let's say in the calendar year of like 2023. It's it's close, but it's not all the way there yet because the Bills do have a chance to like do something special with their current record and the like their schedule that they have left. It's a very tough schedule. I know they're going against like I don't know a lot of top teams. I mean, do you, do you have the? I got it for yeah. you. Uh, next five, they got a tune up against the Jets this weekend. Uh, on a very quick kind of turnaround in a big divisional game. And then they go Eagles, Chiefs, Cowboys, Chargers. Not an easy sled. Yeah, so they're going to be favored in like two of their next five games. It, it sounds like based off that schedule. And like, obviously, it seems like it is as bad as it gets in Buffalo right now, especially with like Trayvon Diggs tweeting for for Stefan with all that stuff. Tampering. But, yeah, it's... It, Possibly, possibly, maybe look into that one. But it's also a chance for them to do something special and like find a way to get momentum going into the playoffs because I I mean, Ken Dorsey had to be the one that fell or fall, but we know he's not real. Like he's not the one who put that 12th guy on the field. He's not out there throwing interceptions, fumbling the ball. But like sometimes it, it just takes one person to fall and then things can turn around. So I, it's bad, but they're not done they're not completely yeah. dead I, I don't know i saw a lot of talk yesterday you know throwing up ken dorsey stats getting real deep in the nitty-gritty of offensive stats uh but those just simply weren't taking into account vibes enough i think that there was something just stinking up this buffalo team and there needed to be a change we talked about it uh on last episode about how dorsey's going to be on the hot seat and eventually he was the first one to go uh, something from this game, though, where you really do point to coaching is the James Cook benching, whether that was Dorsey, it's probably likely not and more so McDermott. Um, it was just kind of insane to me. He rarely fumbles the football. He fumbles it on a throwing play to begin the game. And then you don't see him for another kind of quarter and a half. And he ends up being one of their most dynamic players too little too late almost. Yeah, they 
no game plan should feature Latavius Murray as your lead back at this point in his career. And like, obviously the fumble wasn't great. First play of the game. It kind of gave the Broncos um, a field goal, but could have been worse. The defense came through and held them to a field goal. And, you know, obviously there's old school coaching. There's different ways to coach me personally. I'm, I would be a person who would want the ball to get right back in his hands to ensure that he knows I have confidence in his abilities because he is their best running back. And I know they hate to run the ball and Josh Allen sometimes thinks he's the lead running back, but it should be James Cook. And yeah, you're right. It was kind of a wild move to just pull him immediately and just bury him on the bench pretty much. Uh, and it was weird because it felt like they were running the ball more than they usually do without him, which just blew my mind. Um, but honestly, I like the offense wasn't terrible. It was just turnovers was what killed them. And then the Broncos, they just did enough to win this game. Yeah, Russ was out there tossing floaters to anybody. It was more floaters than I've seen in a game by a quarterback in like a long time. He had a gorgeous TD to Sutton. Uh, and I think that they just did enough to put themselves in a position for a freak play to happen. And then you win the game. Like it's, they, they put themselves in the spot to be able to take a road win and take a home game away from the bills. And from here on out, you know, you talk about the bills being underdogs, finally kind of this season in general. And is it finally the year where being underdogs will let them kind of rise to the top? Now's the real test. You know, it's going to really going to be a show of whether this team can get it done. If anything, it really puts a fire under their ass that Ken Dorsey got fired because you just went out there and like affected a guy's job and you, and you made a guy lose his job. Yeah. That's always the kind of shitty part about sports is like someone usually has to lose their job to get that reality check in into the locker room. And like you said, light a fire under them. But I, I think they have more, like internal problems than it appears right now. And Stefan Diggs and and Josh Allen, they might hate each other. I, I don't know what's going on there, but they never seem satisfied. They never seem like happy together. They always kind of seem like they're arguing on the sidelines after drives. Uh, Stefan Diggs only had like three catches in that game, which is way less than what we usually see from him. But it's it's terrible, and something needs to change in Buffalo. And Ken Dorsey is what it had to be. It looks like um, I like I would have liked to have heard different comments from McDermott. Maybe you know he takes a bit more responsibility because he is the defensive coordinator. And like the the part that was the craziest thing about this was like Denver was the one that was making the substitution. When you know what I mean, like when I saw that flag come down, I was like, okay. It's probably going to be like Denver had an extra guy on the field. Something got mixed up in that um, like flash of just get on, get off. Someone stayed and no, it was Buffalo somehow when they didn't even really have to make a substitution. And ah, like it's, it's crazy that those mistakes happen in the NFL. It really is. And especially when you look at McDermott, it was a really weird statement he made in that giant office of his uh, talking about getting rid and, you know, just making a change. But it really just screams like he's trying to save his job, really. he's He's got the brunt of kind of this whole team. Now you don't really have a defensive coordinator and you don't really have an offensive coordinator either. So it's going to be a real uphill sled. Um, the AFC East, every team but the Dolphins who were on by lost. Uh, so the Dolphins won their bye week and all of a sudden 
uh, a game that you might think earlier in the season, a Bills Jets game this weekend that might be a dud suddenly takes on like a huge amount of importance. So you got to go in and the offense has to look good against a, a good Jets defense. Yeah, that's a massive game because we've seen it. The Jets kind of have their number in a weird way also. I mean, they, they won the first game this year and like Zach Wilson looked okay in that in his last game. Like he was making the throws that he had to. He just wasn't finishing drives. Um, but and you know their defense will cause turnovers and it almost seems like Josh Allen is guaranteed to throw an interception every week at this point. So if the Jets can find ways to kind of get these turnovers and take advantage of the turnovers. I absolutely think that the jets can, you know, win this game and, and shock. Not, nah, it's not even a shock anymore because it, it isn't. That's the sad part about yeah. the bills. It, it's not. And especially, you know, watching the dolphins that loss to them now really turns in. It gets worse and worse every week. Like it's not like they're world beaters anymore. No. And like, it is crazy that the dolphins, it felt like you got two wins almost on the bye. <clears throat> excuse me, but uh, like the bills, something really needs to change. Either it's just a change of like identity, culture, something, but they need to come out against the jets and like win by 20 points for Who's me to like, is it anyway? Where is the game? It is in Buffalo. Bills, bills minus four and a half bills minus seven. Currently. They're catching seven at home after that performance. I I have a tough time so do value, I. valuing the, the Bills right now and where really? they are. So that's probably something I'm going to stay away yeah. from, but I don't know. Um, give credit to Russ, though, in the Broncos. They, Russ has turned this thing around. Sean Payton, they've won three in a row, which is shot, beat the Chiefs in the Bills back-to-back. Well, bye week in there, but... It's amazing. Like the Broncos, everyone kind of thought they were going to be competing for that first overall pick in that area. And now it's like you find a way to string a couple more wins together and you're in the wild card race. You're only a game behind the Bills. You have the tiebreaker over them. So, yep. I mean, the Broncos have life. Javante Williams looks like he's finally coming into, into his own. And he looked great. I don't know. The Broncos are like a, a frisky team now. Yeah. And I thought they were terrible. No, they're they're one of the biggest turnarounds, I would say, of the NFL season so far, uh, especially after that loss to Miami and being able to really turn it around seemingly from that point forward um, on to what is the best division in football currently and what happens to be our Thursday night football game. The Cincinnati Bengals at the Baltimore Ravens, the five and four Bengals fourth in the <laughs> in the AFC North, but they're only two games back of the seven and three Ravens who are currently favored by three and a half at home. Patrick, what are your first impressions on this game? Oh, this, it, my first impressions are thank you NFL for finally putting some, some good primetime spots on, on television. Now it seems like they're starting to kind of figure it out. We had to suffer initially, but now we, we get rewarded Baltimore had um, an all-time collapse last week against Cleveland. They gave up a 14-point lead in the fourth quarter, which is just, you you never see the Ravens give up leads like that. And especially where I think a lot of people valued them as like a top five, maybe top three, maybe even like one of like the best team in the NFL going into that week. 
now I, I just I leave with questions, and Cincy also lost the shootout, which made me question their defense. So, what I think of this game is it's a like someone needs to win, and it's a big game in this division because, like you said, it's it's one of the best in the NFL, highly competitive, and division games are going to determine who wins. Yeah, I actually I'd like to give you some credit. I think you called that one uh, after I had mentioned the Ravens Super Bowl odds. You said, I would not touch that right now. The Ravens are going to have a really weird upset loss uh, sometime in the near future. And that happened. That was a game that if you are the, you know, seven and two team that everybody thinks you are in these real Super Bowl contenders, you can't let that happen, especially to a Browns offense that hasn't looked stellar so far this year. Um, You were able to put points up uh, against a tough Browns defense but you just didn't take care of the other side of the ball really. And they lost outright as six and a half point favorites like that. It, it, this week or this weekend in the AFC North kind of felt like a college weekend. Like the Bengals lose outright as five and a half point favorites and the Ravens lose outright as six and a half point favorites. And suddenly, you know, the Bengals turnaround that had rattled off wins against the bills, the 49ers, the Seahawks suddenly looks like it took a bit of a step um back and then the same for the Ravens you know I think a lot of people their reputation took a big hit this weekend yeah I I see it both ways I'm not going to overreact too much though I do think both these teams are playoff caliber teams if not can like I think both these teams can also win the AFC I don't think that's uh too crazy of a stretch but I I lean Baltimore in this matchup and do you sorry I don't a uh, little unprepared do you know where the game is yeah it's in Baltimore they're getting the three and a half I think this is a field goal game though M- the, yes most AFC North games are decided by a field goal that's why it was kind of crazy that Baltimore was catching six and a half last week because uh, like we saw it was decided on a field goal and yeah, I you're right. I have the same feel. You should always kind of take the underdog in these matchups, even though since he's on the road, I still like them catching more than a field goal. It's going to be a turnover that decides this game. It always is, and it always will be. And it's just who's going to get it, and at what point in the game are they going to get it, and then how do you take advantage of that turnover? Because finishing drives is also going to be massive, and I Oh, it's such a big game and and it's like a Thursday night primetime Baltimore just blew a huge lead. I'm excited for this one. I like, I don't know. That's the best part about these games. I don't like, I have no real feel. I'm 50 50. Yeah. It's really the best sign of a good matchup is where you really can't tell who's going to win in this one, especially, you know, on paper, you'd see a a team that's in first place in, in the division and a team that's in last place in the division. Um, but that really doesn't tell the whole story. Uh, and what a difference in in kind of teams from when they played in week two. Like they both teams have kind of gone through really different trajectories over that time, but somehow come back to a point where this really becomes a toss up. Um, I think that with the Ravens off, like the Ravens have a plus one thirteen point differential right now, which is insanely impressive. Like it's to have those numbers at this point in the season uh, is a testament to their offense, and that really leaves me questioning where the Bengals can get a leg up in this. They're a 16th in the NFL in allowing points and 20th in scoring right now. Um, So I think that this is a bad matchup for a team that is going to have to have really stout defense and then go up against the first ranked 
defense in allowing points in the NFL. Yeah, and I mean, neither defense looked great last week, obviously. Yeah. But like I, I Jamar Chase had a great game last week, but I still don't think he was a hundred percent. And T. Higgins, I he didn't play, so I still like I is he questionable for this game? I'm not exactly he sure is. if he's Yeah. So that's huge for them. Questionable with a hamstring. So is Sam Hubbard. Those are two big pieces on the Bengals side. Oh, yeah. I I think the Bengals need to come out strong in this one. Joe Burrow, he has to go out and win this game. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball a ton with Joe Mixon on these on the on the Ravens defense. And like it's going to be one where Joe's gonna have to get it done with his legs on like third like in third and six he's gonna have to scramble for these first downs but he's also gonna have to find ways to take the top off the defense and hit Higgins Boyd Chase whoever he can find deep in this game and touchdowns are gonna win win you this game what's I'm gonna check out this over under actually I think, it, I think it's 43 and a half which I I kind of love the under in it but that almost feels like a sucker bet at this point Obviously, so, yeah. shout out Spencer Claus, primetime unders, God. He's been preaching it for a long time. Um, but I don't know. This one could go really either way. See, I'm I'm big on primetime unders too. I I've it's it's built in my head at this point, but this feels like a game like you saw with Baltimore Cleveland last week. It was 33-31. Yeah. It, it's one of those games where it's either like gonna be 17-14 or it's gonna be 35-31. Somehow yeah. it's there's really no in between and I, I don't know. I, it's just who makes like less errors in this game will be the one who comes away with the victory. Yeah. It and going back to in, in that kind of same vein, I don't know if that that loss last week for the Bengals was as kind of indicative of Cincinnati as it really was about Houston. I think that it's unfortunate that Joe Burrow had those turnovers in that game because I think he was kind of on route to having that game where everybody, he finally silences everybody. Like he had a couple really gorgeous passes, uh, that touchdown pass to Irwin early in the game and they just slipped up. But I think more so than anything, the Texans kind of showed that they're really legit there. Um, and that, you know, that might be a bit more of a blip, rather than something that's super indicative of how the Bengals are doing right now in this season. I got an update on this game. Yeah. I'm slapping a slapping a must win label on it for the Bengals. Oh wow. They are 0 and 2 in the division. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, I I just like I was like, about that. Cuz I was, I remember they played and I remember Baltimore like barely beat them. They won by a field goal early 27-24. Yep. Um but yeah, since he also lost to Cleveland those early, early divisional losses for them. Yeah, so Baltimore's 2-2 two and two in the division. They're doing okay, and since he is 0-2, so if you fall to 0-3 in this division, you are banking on a wild card spot because you will not win this division with with uh, with uh, going 0-3 to start. And, I mean, like you said, like the Texans are going to be in this wild card spot. Uh, the Chargers seem to be kind of figuring things out there. The Colts are 500. The AFC is as competitive as I've seen it in a long time. Yeah. And if Cincy drops to 0-3 in this division, like they are in for like not as bad as the Bills, but they're headed towards that territory. And like, oh yeah, playoffs do not look great this year. From a Steelers perspective, what would you rather? A Ravens loss here or a Bengals win? 
Ravens. Ravens win. I have I have a lot Ravens of respect win. for the Ravens built up over the years and in my my life. I have I don't have a ton of respect for the Bengals. I I hate them. Vontez perfect that game. Uh those playoff games and and Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown and all those playoff battles with Andy Dalton and, and those guys. So what about math? What about math? Do you, it does, does it matter? Like it's it is Cincinnati winning better for you because the Ravens then drop a divisional game and the Steelers get closer to winning the division? Because if you're the Steelers, I don't like do you see the Steelers winning the division to get in the playoffs or having a good enough record to be the best wildcard team? I don't think it's out of the question for them to win the the division. They're two and zero in the division right now, and they go and play Deshaun Watsonless Cleveland Browns this week as well. So if you can win that, you're three and zero. I would rather since he still lose for math also okay. because it almost eliminates them in the division. Right. And if the Steelers can find a way to win this week, then it's like they're kind of sitting pretty in the division, and since he won't be able to really compete with them unless they obviously you know end up both going three and three, but since we'd have to win three in a row, Pittsburgh would have to lose three in a row, but they do still play each other twice this year. Right. But uh, I think, yeah, I think Baltimore just, I expect them to keep winning games. So if they keep doing that, that's fine. But I want teams in the AFC North to kind of start falling out of right. the, of the picture a bit. So yes, I mathematics wise for Steelers, I would rather the Ravens win. That makes sense to me. Uh, and it, Gives us a perfect segue into week 11. And we're only going to be highlighting one game, and it's in that same division. This is the week of the AFC North. We have the Pittsburgh Steelers, six and three, second in the division, traveling to Cleveland for the third place Browns in the division. The Browns are still catching two and a half points at home right now. The news broke kind of earlier this morning or late yesterday about Deshaun Watson, his shoulder fracture is going to take him out of the season for the rest or take him out of the uh, roster for the rest of the season. Uh, And they're still catching two and a half. That line hasn't like budged really since then, which I'm wondering how far it moves from now until Sunday. Well, it it was four before the, before it was four. Yeah. Yeah. So I had a three and a half. Um, I that 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 feels right. I do think Cleveland should be favored in this game still at home, even without Deshaun. I I I don't know how how much Deshaun like necessarily helps or hurts this team. He had a great second half last week, though. One of his argue I would say his best best of the season for sure. But he hasn't shown that he's like been able to like be the the same level that he was in Houston throughout an entire season. So. Deshaun being injured isn't the end-all be-all here. It's can the Browns find a way to just continue to just run the ball with Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt on a defense that gives up a lot of yards to the run. And that's going to be their backbone. I don't, I guess PJ Walker is going to be the starter, not DTR. Yes. Yeah. So PJ Walker is probably not going to have to do a ton in this game if they're going like off their game plan. It's going to be a lot of running the ball, handing it off. And this this game kind of screams under to me and just playing field position. And it's going to be probably a disgusting game to watch for the for the common viewer. Yeah, this is a, uh, a Big Ten game that got moved to Sunday. 
And I think that's exactly what you can expect here. A very classic spot for Tomlin as a road dog, though, I would say. Something to keep in mind here. Um, I want to ask you about the game against Green Bay. There was a lot from the offense from that game. Do you think that that was a testament to the offense developing or more about Green Bay being bad? (laughs) A A good combination of both, honestly. I think that finally playing Broderick Jones as a starter, he he has shown that he is the best lineman on on the roster, and he helped in the run game immensely. Um, there was a, a 180 total yards of rushing. Warren was over 100 yards. Najee was over 80, which we have not seen this year from the Steelers team. And it, it opens up plays for the passing game, even though they really didn't throw it a ton. It was a running game. But I think it's a testament to that's the way you beat Green Bay. They don't have a great run defense. And the Steelers, credit to Matt Canada, Tomlin, they they game planned around that and they found a way to, to beat them. And it was weird. It was like a it was like a high offense. Like they had 14 points right at the start of the fourth quarter. I couldn't believe what I was watching. But then of course, the defense decides to to not show up. So it couldn't just be like a comfortable 21-7 win. It had to once again be a lot, a one score game coming down to the last play like it does every single week. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's it was a combination of both. And the Steelers just need to just have a strong game plan like they did against Green Bay and then game plan for Cleveland. Yeah, I think that sideline Canada, we now this is like an ongoing experiment that we're just seeing the results of. Seems like it's working I don't, it, as as simple as it being a different vibe on the sidelines and seemingly the offense has a chance to really get it together a lot easier than they did with him in the booth. I don't, this is the craziest thing that nobody's talking about. I want, I want in like two weeks time to get a full graph of the different analytics of this offense with him on the sidelines. No, you're right. It has looked like a better offense. Um, It's nice after a bad drive, seeing Matt Canada sit down beside Kenny Pickett on the sideline and talk things through, look at the iPad together or sorry, the Microsoft surface. They pay big money for those advertisements. It's nice to see, and you wonder maybe Ken Dorsey should have should have followed suit with Canada. Like maybe that's a job saving move right there. Just like, hey, coach, give me one more week, put me on the sideline. I'll be able to like collaborate with the players, get talk talk it through. Like that's that, the same thing, especially with his firing, bringing up that clip of him freaking out in the booth a zillion times over again. Like that is what he then gets remembered as it. This might be a, a playbook for all struggling offensive coordinators going forward now. Yeah. And it the sent just the added accountability of them, like being there on the sideline. You're, you can't hide from the cameras. You don't have to find that terrible point of view. Like, like you said, but that Dorsey clip, I, I love that clip so much okay. that that was unfortunately the best part of him being fired is that clip resurfacing. Um, but no, this is a huge game in the division. I, I mentioned it earlier. Steelers are currently undefeated and can sweep the Browns if they win this, who they're currently, you know, they're both six and three. So it's highly competitive game. It, it feels like a playoff game, which is crazy. And I don't know the the Steelers defense. It's not for the faint of heart. It's a, it's a bend, but don't break. But if it breaks, they're screwed. Like that's the issue with yeah. the style of defense they play, and that's why they're getting outgained in every game. It's 
they'll let you get down to like the 30, the 20, but then it's they're either forcing a turnover or holding you to a field goal attempt. But if that doesn't work, they're in trouble. Yeah, they've clearly showed that they're like a top they're in the top third of defenses in the NFL. Like they still have that reputation, but you're right. It's for you don't want to get into a shootout because that's exactly where the Steelers want to be is keeping you to field goals and keeping this game low scoring. I think that's kind of going to be the blueprint for the rest of the season, especially as the offense develops. Um, But for the rest of week 11, not the most enticing slate. Uh, Other than this game, we have kind of slim pickings. We talked about that Jets Bills game earlier. It's obviously going to have a ton of divisional value for it. Uh, But Kind of other than that, maybe Cardinals, Texans. I'm really interested to see how CJ Stroud looks this week. We talked about MVP, you know, conversations last week, and seemingly that grew a ton of momentum with the win over the Bengals. Yeah, huge win. CJ, you know, backed up his big week with another big one. And I, I watched the game and, and it was kind of, you know, he threw that late interception, right? And I was like, oh no, Bengals are going to go find a way to win this. Like CJ, like rookie mistake. But then you think, you go, that's only the second interception he's thrown all season. And it really puts things in perspective to like just how clean and precise and just good he's been. And man, like he is doing it for this Texans team. They like Singletary did have a great game and, and the run game was huge in, in their way to get this victory. But once again, it's CJ Stroud making huge plays when they need it the most. And the Texans, I think you could argue like up there with the Dolphins in like just the most fun and entertaining teams to throw on the TV and just watch the game. No, I have the same thought. And something that kind of hit me on Sunday was you obviously you look at Trevor Lawrence's first year. He has to go through all that shit with Urban, right? It has to has to kind of he's obviously talented but this almost seems like the bizarro flip where you have a quarterback like a pocket passer who's extremely talented but instead of urban meyer for his first year he has D'Amico ryan's like it's it seems to be a complete night and day operation where you see really good things from stroud and he looks like that kind of early trevor lawrence-esque quarterback where he's making really impressive throws early he's so much fun to watch yeah, and I got like Houston has built something. I know it's obviously not fully complete, but the foundation is there because you have young receivers and Tank Dell, Nico Collins, like you have those guys there. You could argue Damian Pierce is part of the future, but I wouldn't be surprised if they go to look to get another running back. But it's like you got Will Anderson, you got Devin Devin Singletary Jr. as a corner, like you just have to add little veteran pieces and sprinkle them into this team. And I think it's it's a team that like in this next five years, you can see them opening up a Super Bowl window. I know it's very early to say that and pieces still needed to need to be added to this roster. But if Houston makes the right moves with the cap space that they're going to have with all these rookie contracts, they can really make something special happen here in Houston and do it a lot quicker than everyone thought, really. Yeah, and all you got to do in the NFL free agency market is be able to throw around money and have an enticing place to play. That Those are two things that the Texans are going to have going for them moving forward uh, because they've done so well this season and because of the way that they're winning football games. So that's kind of clean up around the NFL uh, for week 11. But 
After this, we are going to come back with a CFL divisional recap, unfortunately, um, but as well as a Grey Cup preview. So come back after that for that. All right, welcome back. We now have to talk about the CFL divisional finals, and we'll start in the East. The Montreal Alouettes come to a packed BMO field, 26,000 fans, and beat the 16-2 and Toronto Argonauts, 38-17. to This was the worst football game I've ever watched in my entire life as a fan. Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree with you. I, you know, went in thinking the Argos, they're probably going to win this game comfortably and it should never really be a game. Uh, I had a little bit of concern, like, you know, they hadn't played a meaningful game in a while, but I go, hey, like, it's going to be a packed house at BMO. They know what's on the line. This team won a great cup last year. Like, they're going to get up for this game. It shouldn't be a problem. And I kind of knew right away, they, they were in big, big trouble. Um, right when Chad threw that pick six, I... I gasped, yep. man. I could not believe that the ball left his hand, like, in live time. Not not in the replay. Like, in live time, I could not believe the ball left his hand. And he was just completely spooked from that point onward. And, and more importantly, they just abandoned their offensive game plan af- pretty much after that play. Like they got down comfortably to the goal line easily by running the ball and then having quick passing plays that worked. And you didn't see any of that until like late in the third quarter. Like they have, they played hero and, and like rescue ball from that point onward. And it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah, no, you're, it definitely was one of the crazier games I've ever watched. Another thing, like looking back, it may it may not have mattered, but in the moment, momentum-wise, I think it would have helped. Just how many times they got stopped on third and one. But oh my god. It, it was insane. It was like uh it, on the same play, too. Yeah, if it was like a third and two they went for it, they didn't get it. Third and one. I think it was like three times they were stopped all in the first half. And it's like field goals would have been nice there just just for momentum keeping the crowd in it and i know obviously aim close yeah you obviously uh. lost by like 21 points which is crazy but just to like give yourself momentum and keep confidence that like hey we're, we're scoring points we're moving the ball but no and halouettes dude it was obviously they got the one really late touchdown but up and up until before that one offensive touchdown one their offense sucked. Sorry, sorry for speakers there. Their offense sucked, and it does suck. And and we're gonna get to a Grey Cup preview soon. But it th- this entire team is their defense, and credit to the Alouettes. It's guys that they picked, like Sean Lemon. They picked up halfway through the season. He was one of their best players. Strip fumble on Chad Kelly. Fuck. Uh, and you know, Darnell Sankey, like all their defensive players stepped up and had like essentially their biggest games of the season. And, you know, for a guy who's probably going to win MOP this week is a nightmare. Like the worst game of football, Chad Kelly's probably played in his life. And you just, it's more the, the disappointing thing of this entire loss is that the Argos built up so much momentum this season and finally get a sellout crowd at BMO and then 
like proceed to give fans the worst game of all time. So I think that momentum still carries to next year in some effect, but they really had a chance to do something special. And and that's the most disappointing thing about this. Yeah. And it's tough because, you know, at least half the fans there, it's probably their first game of the season, maybe in like, maybe their first game in like five years kind of thing. Like it was that kind of season for the Argos. They're finally getting like, you know, Canadian attention, national attention. They're in sports center. They're on sports center. Like they're featured prominently in Toronto, which almost never happens. And then they just fall flat on their face in the biggest moment and game they have all year. And like you said, it, if Chad Kelly even has a, a bad game, I think they could have won. But he had yep. to have a horrible game. And like I said, maybe the worst of his career. And yeah, you you lose by 21. And listen, I... I Six turnovers, eight turnovers, whatever yeah, it was. Whatever. 12 turnovers, 20 turnovers. Too many to count. But like if you... To- I, I didn't think it was like the Argos were 100% going to win. Like I think Montreal's a, a decent team. They've had a good year. Definitely the yeah. second best team in the East throughout the entire season. But to lose like this is just disgusting honestly it's i can barely talk about yeah. it like this is this is so tough to even bring back i the amount of times i wasn't i was in montreal and not able to go to the game the amount of times i closed my laptop and then reopened it and then saw a pick closed it reopened it saw a pick six clo- it was like a car crash like you couldn't look away it was the most disgusting thing so flat oh just awful but on to the western final i I don't think there's even much more to talk about there for the argos i saw some like jc abbott wrote an article about free agency and i was like holy shit like even talking about having who they have to resign that's like four of their best players like you just really had a roster here um and i i think it's gonna rob cfl fans of a great great cup but western final BC goes into Winnipeg and loses 24 to 13. And this was kind of the game that if Winnipeg was going to win, we expected it, right? Like this is their game plan really played out to how they wanted it to go. They were able to completely stifle BC's offense um, with a good mix of stopping the run and then being able to force them into tough passes, which was kind of the blueprint on Vernon Adams in this BC offense all season. Yeah, B- BC wanted a shootout in this game. They wanted it to be really fast-paced, high-powered offenses, just kind of going toe-to-toe. And it was not that game. Like you said, Winnipeg was able to just kind of control the ball, run the ball, take time off the clock, and keep Vernon on the sidelines. And you know, once the the BC offense was on the field, it was like they're forcing them into obvious passing downs, obvious passing situations, and it was... It was kind of a dud of a game, honestly. Like I knew kind of early on, like Winnipeg, like something has to change very quickly for BC if they want to have their chance to win this game. And it just never did. And I mean, it was a bit of a field goal fest for Winnipeg. Castillo had like three, maybe four field goals or three in a rouge. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Winnipeg, it should. They play boring football. Yeah, it showed that they've been works. there before. Like it, it was, yeah. it's the same old story with Winnipeg. Yeah, it really is. They they're such an experienced team, 
And at this point, you can really probably say they have the best coach in the uh, in the CFL with Mike O'Shea. And it's it's really like a team that is hard to poke holes in, especially because they're so well coached. You can't really get down to them or else they hold the lead and run the ball extremely well. Brady Oliveira, again, just a, a menace, really. Like he he is somebody that your defense has the game plan completely around. They get it done without Dalton Schoen, too, like one of their best receivers. And I think that this Winnipeg team is really primed to play their best football in the Great Cup, which is exactly where you want to be as a team. Yeah, and you got to wonder, like, they had to play competitive games throughout the season. Like, every game kind of mattered. It, it came down to the second last week of their season for them to get that by. And, like... They're just built yeah, for it. They, you, their experience just shows every time they are in a big game and a big moment. And, you know, it's it's kind of like watching Alabama. You always just like yeah. wait for them to slip up in a big moment. And you go, oh, no, not this year. Not again. There's no way they can do it again. And they just keep doing it. And they're going to their fourth straight Grey Cup. Fourth straight Grey Cup. We can move now officially into our Grey Cup preview. Montreal Alouettes versus the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who will get home field advantage because they are the top seed. They are opening as eight and a half or not opening. They are currently eight and a half point favorites. I think it opened at seven and the line has been creeping towards Winnipeg, who will now be in their fourth straight Grey Cup. It's it's really something Uh, I think that. There's a lot of aspects of this team that have a chance to really move into kind of legend status if they get a win here and a third great cup with this group. That's Zach Laros and Mike O'Shea, I would say. Yeah, they're built. This is dynasty territory. If you win three of three out of four, I, I would say that's yeah. dynasty territory. And my my early read on this game is they're going to do it. I mean, I, I really don't see... Caleros having a game like Chad Kelly did and the Argos like just then you know they they were just bad in every aspect of the game pretty much and I don't see Winnipeg be doing that and that's really the only way Montreal can win this game is off of turnovers and like big splash plays but I would assume Winnipeg's going to try and do the exact same thing they did to BC run the ball with Brady Oliveira throw when they have to make the completions and just drain the clock and just win it ugly. And then <laughs> happily ever after. Like it's, it's yeah. kind of boring, but I do think that's what's going to happen in this game. Yeah. I think that's the most unfortunate part about the Argos losing is it's really going to rob like the fans of what should be the best on best here. Obviously there's an argument to be made. If you're not the best in the playoffs, you're not the best and you don't deserve to be there. But uh, on paper, I think that the Argos Blue Bombers would have really been a classic Grey Cup, uh, and it's unfortunate, but really, you pinpoint, pinpointed it. It's this Montreal offense I have zero faith in. Like They have weapons, too, at the receiver position, um, but Fajardo just like isn't that guy. We've said that this entire season on this podcast. He's the definition of mid. I don't see him facing one of the best defenses in the CFL and then suddenly turning into like a big play guy. I, I think that Montreal is extremely outgunned in this game. And you're right. It's going to be solely through defense and turnovers that they if they have a chance to. 
Um, and Winnipeg's not really that team. Like they're they're not. No, they they aren't. Um, like we we've said again, but like they are the team. Like Montreal would have so much rather play BC in this game. It's oh, crazy. Yeah. This, like Winnipeg is a nightmare matchup for Montreal because they've been here a million times. They know what they're gonna do, and they're just gonna squish Montreal. From my my assessment, my prediction, Fajardo's probably gonna get sacked like five times. He's just he's just a stone back there, ready to get thrown. And I like you're right though. I really, really, really wish. It was Toronto Winnipeg because we didn't even get that matchup in the regular season. Like we, you just have no idea what it's going to be a what if for the next fifty fucking years. Like yeah, and it's it's bad because like you said, like you know the Argos obviously had a great regular season. I don't mean to make this the Great Cup preview about the Argos, but we're on the topic. It's like you you made some some signings. Chad's locked up. Dinwiddie's locked up. But you obviously have a bunch of free agents, and it's like. If you can't kind of put the squad back together, you're just going to have these pieces with nothing to complement them. And then it's like, where do you go? Right? Because it's like, it felt like a team this year when the offense wasn't getting it done. Special teams, defense would pick it up when they weren't getting it done. Offense would like, it was a complimentary team and Montreal credit to them. They, they found a perfect way to beat them. And it was just make Chad Kelly turn the ball over. I don't think Zach Claros will do that though. And I like, I like Winnipeg and the under in the great cup. I, I kind of fall in the same line here. The previous matchup in August was Winnipeg 47, Montreal 17. Like, I don't, I think that this game has the potential to be a game like that. Like this is Winnipeg does not shy away from big spots at all. Um, In fact, they thrive in it. It's going to be a packed out, Tim, what do they call it? The Timbit box in Hamilton. Uh, Winnipeg fans travel well. Uh, there's not going to be any horns. I heard there was a horn banning by the CFL. Uh, so I think security took them away from Montreal fans at, at BMO, which is hilarious. Like they, it, I heard a few early in the broadcast and then none again for the rest of the entire game. Um, and I think what I'm more bummed about is I don't think I'm going to the great cup anymore. It's uh I, I was supposed to, and I don't even know if I can stomach it now. It's still up in the air. Not sure what's going to happen, but it, it's unfortunate. But other than that, I think everything around the Grey Cup seems to be going well and is going to be fun this week. We got Carrie Underwood in town. We got Green Day at halftime. Shaggy's got a performance in the mix. Everybody's flocking to Hamilton. I don't know. It seems like it's going to be a good match for everything but the game on the field which is kind of what I'm worried. Yeah. About. I was going to ask you about what you were going to do with those tickets. You, so you lean on, you're leaning on selling them right now or where, where's your hat? I think at? so. I, the problem is like, think about how many Argos fans are probably going through the exact same thing, right? It's hope you kind of hope that Winnipeg fans are traveling out, but a lot of those fans have probably already bought their great cup tickets. Yeah. There is probably going to be a ridiculous amount of Argos jerseys and paraphernalia in the stands at this game. I know. I couldn't even imagine that, man. Like, that's the thing. Like, getting you get chirped so badly pulling up an Argos gitch. Yeah, and it's not like it's it's at BMO. Like, it's Hamilton's not like a close drive, and you know there's going to be traffic, and it's not going to be like a a fun commute. So I'm like, yeah, I I understand where your head's at in not attending this game, and you know, 
nothing nothing beats a, a good old CFL Great Cup party at home. I do love that. I do love that. Um, and I think that's going to do it for us today at the goalpost. Get out, have your Great Cup parties. Sunday's going to be incredible because the Leafs play in Sweden at 8 o'clock. So you'll have an 8 a.m. NHL game that will roll into Sunday NFL football, which will roll into the Great Cup. So good weekend ahead, I'll say. Yeah, looking forward to it. The the Sweden matchup seems fun. Good for like entertaining teams there. And morning hockey is tough to beat. Yeah, morning hockey is great, especially this time of year. It gives you a little bit of a world junior feel. Um, but get out there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for supporting. Watch a little football and hockey over the weekend. But uh, until next week, Patrick, see ya. See you later, Damien. I'll be doing on that. Yo, Orlando Magic warm up suits and black shacks. 95 younger Bronson on the fast track to blast cat. Now I'm looking past that. I want the cash stack higher than the Nasdaq. I put the work in the downtime. I'm cooking lamb. A thousand touches in the air like it's a reefer jam. Aretha Jane, you better RESPECT me. Or it's the forest with a motherfucking rescue team.